talking all things entertainment, pop culture, and nerdum. This is the Potential Podcast. Hey, Potential Podcast listeners. Thanks for tuning in once again to the Potential Podcast. Before we begin today's episode, we'd like to take a moment and talk to you about something that means a lot to us. This podcast was created to be a source of fun and entertainment, and although we love to nerd out with you, one thing we do take serious is mental health. If you think you might be feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, or overwhelmed, then our sponsor, BetterHelp, is here to help you. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help you. You can talk to your therapist in a private, safe, online environment at your convenience. There's a broad range of expertise with BetterHelp's 20,000-plus therapist network that gives you access to help that may not be available in your area. All you do is simply fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in just under 48 hours. After that, you can schedule secure video and phone sessions. Plus, you can exchange unlimited messages, and everything you share is completely confidential. And at any time, you can request a new therapist at no additional charge. Join the over 3 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Our listeners will get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com potential. That's betterhelp.com slash potential. Once again, that's 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash potential. Take charge of your mental health with better help. And remember, know your potential. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Potential Podcast. Oh, my gosh, Taylor. Can you believe it's like already the end of September and we're like literally next week, we're right into the full on spooky season, October, one of my favorite times of year. Uh, I can't believe we're already here. It just feels like this. the summer went by like that and then now fall. And I've already seen I literally the other day, I saw Christmas stuff already out in stores, which uh, was baffling. But I, you know, can understand all that marketing for Christmas. It's already here. I can't well, believe it. It's the time to buy stuff. Um, well, maybe even better to buy it right before Christmas, because I feel like that's when it's cheaper. But uh, or like, you know, I don't know, supply and demand. But yeah, it's a blink and you'll miss it kind of thing. It's so weird. And I think, you know, with our new format of the podcast this season, it feels like, you know, we next thing you know oh we're talking and like oh man here's another uh you know episode and like oh the month's over but um yeah spooky season is upon us i'm excited though because uh, i think you and i both have appreciated more and more i certainly have and uh, i gotta thank our lovely ladies in our life so but uh yeah i gotta i gotta hand it to you it's uh, it's been a heck of a year and i can't believe it's you know winded down but you know we wanted to we've been doing a lot of the great uh you know f- franchise conversations lately and i always enjoy those but sometimes we really want to go to a more of a broader topic and one that you and i discussed we wanted to talk about is something that i think a lot of people like forget is quite a powerful part of entertainment especially when it comes to film and television Uh, i think it's something that we really take to in our youth and as we grow older we kind of forget a little bit about um and we see maybe then in our children the next generation, how they take that on. But we wanted to talk today about 
one of the oldest forms of entertainment that has still had quite a stronghold, I would say, in the world of entertainment, puppetry, and how puppetry is used to tell stories, create characters, uh, bring things to life that really can't be done sometimes with animation, or it's a preferred way of that weird, like, it's an animated character, but it's still live action, and how sometimes that is the best way to just create entertainment. But we're not going to do it alone. No, we're not going to do it alone. We're so happy to have a guest with us today. Yes, we are. I had the pleasure of working with this gentleman. I can't believe it's already been six years now since we worked. Yeah, it's been six years since we did Singing in the Rain. Uh, but I'm so happy to have, he is a brilliant actor, comedian, and puppeteer himself. Brendan Malafronte. Hello, my friend. It's so good to Hello. see you. Hello. Thank Welcome you for having me. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. You guys have such nice uh, podcast voices. I feel bad for the people that have to listen to my like puppet voice. <laughs> oh, no, no. We, we, this is your well, my modeling career your, wasn't yeah. going to go anywhere. So that's <laughs> the best way for me to get into the entertainment is. But yeah. thank you. No, we appreciate that. And thanks for joining us today. Um, I was so excited when Chris had said that, oh, I know that I know a guy. So I was like, okay. So I do we know were... a guy. And I, I say that in that, you know, being an actor myself and you you get to meet some really great people in all different walks of life. And and like I said, like I worked with Brendan six years ago. I would see him every now and then in New York at auditions. But like pandemic did a lot of things for a lot of people where they had to go to their own corners and with family and friends. And you don't always keep up with people. But one thing I, you know, you, you do in all that time when you're just like at home and not getting to work is you see social media and see what people are doing, see what people did during the pandemic to kind of pass the time or create something new. Just as you and I, Taylor, this podcast came out of the pandemic. We, we were like, you know, let's do something. And we did. And something I think has been really exciting, and we're going to touch more about this later, is Brendan and his now wife uh, have created this great show where he is keeping the tradition of puppetry alive uh, in this cool show for kids called reading buddies so we're gonna get to that a little later because i do want to touch uh, you know talk about that but when it comes to you know i think when we start these kind of broad topic episodes obviously when i think of the you know puppets and how puppets have been used in entertainment for the most part most people are going to go directly to something to do with jim henson as their introduction to that form of entertainment whether it be Sesame Street, whether it be the Muppets, whether it be some of these great films that he and his crew have worked on. I guess we'll start with you, Brendan. I would love to hear, like, where where do you think in your life, if you can remember, I know for some of us, it might be like really young childhood. Where do you think of like earliest memories of any kind of puppetry, whether it was in film or TV or even like, you know, going to some place and seeing like actual live people do it in front of you? Do you have any early memories of where that started for you to like? Yeah, I'm trying to think. So I, I wish I had memories of like live uh, puppet performances, but it was not, I came from a family with six kids and it was, it was just like the fact that you could keep them all alive was great. So it's like <laughs> live performances wasn't something I, I did as a kid. So it was more movies and TV shows. And I was just writing down a little list when you were talking about it. Um, and I think in this, in this, at this point in my memory, uh, I, I lamb chop, I think oh, Sherry yeah. Lewis and lamb chop were, were, were the 
the duo for me, uh, which I think influenced me. Well, you know, when we get to reading buddies, like when you think about it, it's it's this big parallel um, of this this woman. I don't even think as a kid I clocked that she was in real time, for the most part, puppeteering lamb chop right there. Like I, I that was magic to me. I, and I never thought that as a kid. So lamb chop and like lamb chops, the Sherry Lewis's sense of humor too, is so kind of like old school, there's slapstick, but there's actually like also very smart, smart jokes that I remember laughing as a kid. It just teaches you timing. It's like Looney Tunes. All of that just teaches you timing. And the thing with timing is like, kids don't have to understand the words sometimes. They don't know the vocabulary all the time, but there's something in timing that you know when to laugh. It's, it's the butum chick. Oh, now I laugh. Like it, there's the moment where it's like, all right, audience, that's the joke. And it, it like lands that the audience is then like, oh wait, that's the, that we get to clap now. Like they love to do that. And uh, so Sherry Lewis and Lamb Chop influenced me. Uh, their closing song, uh, this is the song that doesn't end. It's like, I, I watched the whole show just for that song, <laughs> you know? Um, so Lamb Chop is my, is my first, but growing up in terms of like puppets as characters, you have the Muppets, like, of course, I, I got the um, Muppets Take Manhattan DVD in a cereal box, not even like mail in your box tops, remember that? Not even like mail in your like box tops. It was just, in the cereal yeah. box. Just oh, like wow. I'm gonna, I'm gonna enjoy some Cheerios. And what's this and outside plop. of the bag? And you take it out, and it, it is the DVD. It's Muppets Take Manhattan, and uh, and I loved it because I I grew up on Long Island, but as a kid with like James and the Giant Peach when that came out, which is stop motion, which is it that really goes hand in hand a lot with puppetry, but obsessed with New York. Um, and so Muppets Take Manhattan hooked me on all those things because it was theater. And I, I loved like MGM movies growing up. It was theater, it was slapstick, it was funny, witty humor, and it was puppets. And I never thought even then that there was somebody under the screen. It never occurred to me because I was watching a story and those were the characters and they were tangible and they were real because there's a human right next to that character and they're patting that character on the head. And that is enough for me as a kid to be like, great, Kermit's a, a people are frogs. That's awesome. I love it. Like I could go to school and there'd be like a frog person there and I'd be like, <laughs> oh, hey, what's up? <laughs> like, you know, that it was like that normal. It's a means of storytelling, which is what puppetry is just all all about what well like any of us in theater or podcast world or any kind of storytelling is so ancient right it's in our bones if, if the world all of a sudden like all our history disappeared and you know wh what would we do we we it would be an oral history we would tell stories um and those become real there was one more, oh, even before Muppets Take Manhattan, uh, it was Star Wars and it was Yoda and it was always Yoda. 
And I, I had no idea there was a team of people, you know, uh, Yoda between Yoda and little shop of horrors. I, the, I mean, those empire strikes back, um, into return of the Jedi, because I loved the Ewoks. I still do. I don't care. Come at, come after me. Prove me oh, wrong. We're, we're Ewoks, Ewok are... fans over here. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, star Wars, the fact that like, you know, watching it as a kid, I had that three VHS set with like Darth Vader on the front. And I wore those VHSs out and Yoda was so, it influenced a lot of me as a performer and a lot of what I like to do now. Like when I, I just getting into directing and the few things I directed, I love this way of telling a story and bringing in an audience where Yoda's funny at first, right? He's like, he's like slapstick. He's like the clown. You're like, oh, this is, this is funny. This is funny. And then, so you, you open up and you're like, oh, great. This is like a wacky character as a kid. You're like, I'm going to love him. And then on the drop of, you know, a, a dime, he's, he's the wise one that like Luke Skywalker that you thought was Oh, Luke is the end all be all. He's the coolest guy ever. It's a simple change of face too. Like you just see like how he just, just the demeanor of how the puppet is used where you're like, oh my gosh, like all of a sudden, didn't have to say anything. And he like, all of a sudden he gets all serious and he turns around and his eyes are like, whoa. And he's like, Yoda. Like, so yeah, so it's, it's, it is real. You see that going back and Chris and I have done rewatches because we've had talked about it on previous episodes. So you see that just that change and it's like, and the fact that you have Frank Oz doing the voice who has done so much with Henson work that it's like, it talk about little shop of horrors, the yes. movie he directed. And, that. Oh yeah. It's amazing. And uh, yeah, just that it's really great how you still are invested. Even as an adult, you look at this and like, Oh my gosh, this is a living, breathing character. And it's, it's probably the first time in my child. I still didn't think about puppetry as I didn't think about puppetry as a gig until I was on a gig that happened at puppetry, you know what I mean? They're like, oh, right. Uh, but Yoda was like the first time if Lamb Chop taught me timing, Yoda taught me that, and, and Muppets taught me timing, musicality, and storytelling using puppets. Yoda was the first time where I think as a kid, I probably saw a puppet not being the gimmick like Yoda's not a gimmick not that the Muppets are or anything but like you know that they're puppets and or I didn't as a kid but you know as adults but Yoda was just any other character in the story it wasn't a goofy character he was a wise Jedi has this backstory he's like the last one on earth that and he has to train this one other like it's a it could be a Shakespeare play and if Yoda if Yoda wasn't uh, a puppet and he was just like a character like Puck or something um but with more more gravity uh it would just be a character in the story that's that has a part in the plot uh with the hero and that's exactly what Yoda is in Star Wars I didn't think that's a puppet I thought that is an alien creature who is a wise um, Jedi master. And so it, it's, it's like you get the script and there's this alien Jedi master. And how are you going to tell that 
alien Jedi masters story visually. And so the answer is puppetry a lot of those times. Now it's CGI because puppetry is too expensive. <laughs> but but uh, before CGI, yeah, before CGI, it was, it was puppets was the answer to if you need to tell a story and the character's not human, you do that or you do um, like FX makeup stuff, you know? And yeah, I, I think it's interesting when you bring up that, that idea that puppets could be more than just the gimmick. Because I think for a lot of, a lot of puppet characters are like the stock characters of like, oh, they're like, you look at the Muppets, it's like, okay, Kermit is the leader and he has his, you know, character traits. And then, oh, Fozzie is the, the thinks he's funny. And it's funny because he's not that funny, but he is funny character. And then we have Gonzo who's, who even is Gonzo? What species he's supposed to be, which I love how they explore that in Muppets in Space, which is one of my favorite Muppet movies. Yeah, we 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 did uh we've done a couple episodes on Star Wars with the prequels and how it's funny how in the original trilogy it's so fascinating to watch him as a puppet and how it works so well. Um and and I do agree, he just feels like this character. You're not feeling like, oh, I'm watching this little rubber thing act. It's no, he's such an important, beloved character. When we got to the prequels, they tried to do this like younger puppet and it didn't work because it, it just it didn't look the same and it was kind of grotesque looking. And if I can like chime in, because I've always wondered this, that, that he's like 900 years old. So like, would there be that big of a physical difference from 30 what, years before 30, or eight, 30 18 years, years not even like yeah. 18 years that would years. be nothing that would yeah. be like a night's sleep or something like <laughs> yeah. a month in his yeah. time like there's no rest, way rest like, me yeah and like why did they yeah why the design was like that and then when they switched to cgi for episode two and three it just worked better because he looked more like mm-hmm. Define or like he looks more like which the original kinda, puppet, which is kind of sad. Where it's like, okay, this is not the puppet, and it's like looks ten times better because obviously that's an example. As you said, Brennan, that there's there's moments where you can use puppetry, but then there's stuff that the Yodo's gonna have to do in those other movies that was not gonna do very well uh, or look as realistic with those flips. <laughs> I'm wondering what they're gonna do with uh, Grogu in the future of my Mandalorian because he's starting to get that those like skills. You know, and it's like cute to see him wobble, but like if he's doing flips and stuff, are they going to see Team Grogu? You know, we want to see like, you know, as like maybe a little like petulant adolescent, you know? Yeah. Oh, totally. Maybe they'll maybe they'll skip ahead. Yeah, we get like a warrior Grogu. I do appreciate, though, that they did like we. there has been a resurgence in some of these properties that have had like these rehashes or remounts or sequels prequels retweakles everything in between that there is still like an appreciation for what came before so that the fact that favreau was like grogo needs to be a puppet and when we have to do cgi for a certain scene we will but it's going to be puppet based and the characters come so much more alive that way it looks more authentic i think the thing with cgi is we're so so used to these days with such like has to be such polished cgi that we just can tell if it's a little off. We just know if it's like, it's not that we're looking for it to be bad. It's just sometimes it's like, okay, that that looked okay. I'm sure if they had a few more weeks, maybe it'd be a little better. But that is a good question about like Star Wars is I, I've appreciated since really the, the sequel trilogy 
that even like J.J. Abrams was like, I want to bring back that that element of the original trilogy of these random creatures that walk around and these droids and how how we can make some of that is a bodysuit or someone in it, but like just all these things that it makes it much more alive um, than a CGI character. Like when we saw that with the prequels, when Lucas like went back and he messed with the original trilogy and then all the stuff in the prequels, sometimes it's like some of the shots are great, but it's a little almost too CGI. It's too, it's too, there's no real tangible feeling and the age of puppets, you know, especially like the eighties, it was a big era the seventies and eighties of these movies that it still holds up to me. Like, like for example, one I wanted to bring up because I really love the series. I'm really sad that they're not going to continue it because I thought it was great. Um, I'm a big fan of the dark crystal movie. And again, taking a concept where, yeah, there is comedy, there's humor, there's characters that are very, that Muppet feeling of like, they're kind of goofy and, but it is a very dark movie. Um, it's it's creepy. There's scary characters in this. There's really creepy looking puppets and things. Different types of puppets. They're marionettes in some scenes. They're like people in full on bodysuits with like puppets riding them. Yeah. When they did the Age Resistance series, which did combine puppetry with CGI and, you know, different things. A lot of it looks so good. And I really enjoyed the show. And I was like, for someone who really loves that movie. And of course, the reason why they're not going to continue it is like you said, it's because it's too expensive to do the puppetry, which all these big movies and TV shows that have these huge budgets. And all the time we hear it's because of CGI. CGI costs so much. I'm like, is puppetry that expensive? But then you have to think about, too, like, I love the images of Empire Strikes Back. Everyone sees that set and they think, like, oh, it's just a set. No, it's a completely raised set because Frank Oz had to be under the set to actually puppet Yoda. And that's, like, I guess it's that feeling of, like, they have to do a whole extra layer of probably multiple sets instead of just having, like, a screen and they can just make it all they want. Um, but it does kind of, yeah, it's, it's a sad thing to think of, like, if that would be something that would slowly go away for all types of, you know, entertainment. But it wouldn't if there was, if there's a demand for it, if people, you know, take to the internet and they're like this, like you said, like, we're all looking, like, if the CGI in a movie is worse than a video game I play every day, then like, I'm not going to like that movie because my video game is, is has better cgi like and nowadays why am i gonna pay what 35 bucks <laughs> to see a movie in theaters prime example i mean prime example i mean obviously this is from cgi to better cgi we talk about like one of the most infamous of recent days of the internet and an outrage uh was when the sonic movie was announced and they're like what is going on with sonic and then they're like i'm just kidding we just we just wanted <laughs> we just it was a joke and then the new trailer comes out like okay that looks 100 percent better uh, better and so i think you're right i think that there will never be this um n- there will never be a time i think when puppetry doesn't uh you know be a part of that and i mean a prime example when we're talking about our you know our youth i think with children's shows i think that's since that's still i mean that's going to be the the biggest part of it um but it's interesting that you know the history you're talking about you know the uh, 70s and 80s and thinking like obviously the 90s to early 2000s that was such a surgence of a lot of great productions obviously jim henson had a huge you know stake in that but uh like i i think for me like you're talking about this 
I think Star Wars is probably my most notable one because I was not really a Sesame Street uh, person growing up. I was born a Barney. <laughs> then I went to Power Rangers. And then I, having been an older brother of, of three, the I was I was subjected. I say it, you know, in a nice way, I was subjected to all the fodder that came after. So Elmo's world, uh, all that stuff. So a lot of Sesame Street I I, you know, embraced. And then obviously the Muppets has resur- uh, had had a resurgent with the movies, and then like Bear in the Boogaloo House. One of my favorite though was like you think of like the show Dinosaurs and things like that. But it was very interesting. We were talking about the dinosaur show a while back, but it's one of those because we we talked about Jurassic Park. I was like, well, here's one of my favorites. But that's such a prime example of the amazing, you know, puppetry work. Uh, and that was also you know Kevin Clash doing uh, both Elmo and Baby Dinosaur. But I same voice, yeah, same voice. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it didn't really change much. It was pretty much the same thing. Um, <laughs> but I love that. It's a great thing about puppetry, whether it's in made for kids shows or movies. There is that element of playfulness, but also uh, with puppetry, you can inflect more adult humor, and it comes off better. Uh, so you have that kind of example where it's kind of that little tongue in cheek, and then you go to. Uh, where Lamb Chop was kind of early, is kind of like pseudo ventriloquism almost. You oh, know? She, is, she is. Yeah, she is. She basically. She that. did like stage shows and, and stuff like that. She was, I mean, she's incredible. If you go back and watch Sherry Lewis, she is groundbreaking. Uh, on te- just to have her show on television, and like it's her, like her co-star is her. It's not like Lamb Chop's helping you know, sell the, like, you know, help, helping create this thing. Lamb Chop's not writing stuff, you know? Um, and, and it's, so it's, it's, Lamb Chop is, it was so fantastic. I forget why I brought uh, Sherry Lewis up a second time, but uh, there it is. <laughs> no, that, that was, that was my fault. Like, cause I, you, I, I'm glad you brought it up. Cause I mean, when I think of then ventriloquism, like nowadays we've got Jeff Dunham and a, another good friend of mine, he is, um, uh, big ventriloquist on cruise ships. So I think it's really funny, like that, that's still, it's, there's not a lot of big names in ventriloquism, but it's still like a, it's, you know why? I think just cause like even what you've done and continue to do, it's such a niche like talent that it's like, you're really, you got it or you don't. And I remember when uh, I was in, I think we all did a talent show or two when we were kids. I don't know if you guys did any talent shows or, but I remember the first time I did a talent show, I tried to, do my own attempt at ventriloquism. My parents went to Vegas a few times and brought me back this like magician basically. And I had the little stick to move his hand and you know, my hand. And uh, I remember trying to do it and it was just like, <laughs> I was like, it was very obvious. And I, my jokes really lame, but they're like, we don't want you for the talent show. Uh, great try, but they want you for the MC. So that was kind of my stardom of like being like host of the most, but it was funny. Cause I remember that was like my first attempt. I always liked the idea of hand in the puppet i don't know what it is about that oh yeah it's like this whether you do the sock puppet or something something just kind of so funny about that and that reminds me of the one i don't know if you know this one it was called ubi and it was basically oh, yeah. hands just, yeah. with with eye googly eyes that's all it was yeah <laughs> what is the show i am watching and this is <laughs> all the subjected to but it was so great i'm like it was like oh we're gonna use our hands to tough and it was just like yeah there were there was a there was a movie called was it freak show or freaks maybe it was freaks and bobcat goldthwaite goldthwaite is that how you say yeah his yeah, name? yeah, yeah. Like bobcat he played a character that was literally it was a sock puppet and it was like a human's body and there was like a sock puppet in there 
And he was like, and it was like the sock, like you could see the handwork inside this sock. And at one point, maybe it was like a torture scene or something. They like take off the sock and it's just like his hand or something. But I like love stuff like that. And that, that you can tell a story with just like googly eyes on a hand. I think that that is, is so nifty. And I think also everything just comes down to practice. Like you guys could be fantastic puppeteers. I, like if, if you just put in the time that like I've gotten to put in on the job, like I've just learned on the job from, uh, from fantastic puppeteers that, that were in Bear in the Big Blue House, that were Bear <laughs> in Bear in the Big Blue House. Like, like you work with all these fantastic people that have been doing it since before, you know, you were born. <laughs> they would hate to hear that. But uh, it, if, you, if you guys had that opportunity, you could do it if you took it as like a discipline. A lot of people just think puppetry is like, ah, bop, 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 look at me. And they don't think about it in terms of like, it is dance. It is telling a story the way dance is telling a story. It combines dance um, where you have to have all of this muscle memory to hit these, these things and to tell a story, to, to be a character through that. Uh, and acting where you are making the acting choices and trying to show them with your arm. <laughs> it's almost more challenging, you know, like I'm just thinking I'm gonna have flashbacks to like, I'm trying to do this, but make it look good. And then I've got to think about what I'm gonna say. I've got to talk, I'm talking to myself, but it's almost more challenging than just acting with another person on stage or some of, some of that. It is, that is like, I mean, and Chris could attest to his dancing, his singing. I mean, that right. is, it's, right. it's not an easy thing. I think a lot of people, for, they forget that most Muppets or puppets or you know it's it's the eyes don't move some are set that the eyes can move um but it's mostly just you know the face is stuck and the mouth can open um like I I I always loved how like this was always a thing that Kermit would do is like if Kermit was scared or mad it was the hands would like go in to kind of make like this grimace face and that was that was when he was like nervous or upset and that was the only choice you could do because it'd be that or the big laugh or like you throw the head back and have the whole the body chuckling yeah. around. and the waving. <laughs> and I'm like, that's a choice to really, you know, really show the emotion thing they're doing. And that's for all of these characters. There's been more advanced things. And this is why I like a lot of this has evolved into like animatronics and the films were like, you look at like ET or like stuff, you know, even like Jurassic Park, like they built the entire giant T-Rex. Yes. There's scenes that are definitely CGI, but they built that thing. And it can move its mouth and it's and it was all, you know. And the raptors, too. And there the raptors, several, several yeah. times in the, in the kitchen scene where the raptors are. Um, are real. And you puppets. can tell when yeah. it is and when it's not. Yeah, yeah. But it's like you still love it because like in, in time, it's like I the, the tactile puppet stuff ages better, a lot better than the CGI. Think about it. I got this. I got this phone like maybe earlier this year. And there's already the next version. They're promoting it to come out soon. And, and like, so think about every year, the equipment that we get as like normal people changes rapidly and dynamically. So if there's a whole industry that's based in a certain technology and like nowadays there's so much competition 
because every like Netflix, Hulu, HBO, like it's not six channels anymore. And movies, they come out with a million, you know, and, and you can get them right away uh, on your TV. So there's competition there. That tech is going to level up all the time versus something like Little Shop of Horrors where that puppet is such a beautiful, well-oiled machine. It is a character. And there are maybe, I don't know how many, like 10 people. Like if you look at the, the videos or uh, pictures and, and figure out how that thing is puppeteered, it's nuts. They do so many camera tricks because they couldn't get the lips to move quick enough. So so like the the lips on the, um, on the Audrey 2 are, are moving, they, they just did it slow so that they could get every curl of the lip. And, and Rick Moranis, like this is in a scene with Rick Moranis who now has to sing and act a little bit slower yeah. <laughs> than he would just so that when they speed it up, can puppet, speed it up. you can see yeah. all the lips and all the arms and Rick Moranis looks great and it's dubbed over. And, and stuff like where the Audrey 2, there's the pot, um, how do they do this? Yeah. Okay. So there's the pot that is actually closer to now. It would just be a CGI plant grows. It was a pot that was closer to the screen and the puppet was here. And when it wanted to like grow the, the, like the pot, I forget if the pot moved closer or the hand moved closer so that it looks like it, but it was all camera tricks. And you look back at those movies, and they're still mind blowing because you can, and I think that really is the thing. We're not, we're not um, like dopes. We, my wife and I say dopa gigios. Um, we're, we're not dopos. Like we as humans know when something's off, right? Like we see CGI and we're like, that's the CGI person that is the um, human that they're doing. And that's the CGI troll or whatever. Like you can tell. Something like Little Shop, we know it's not real. We know it's not a computer because we're like used to that, but he's touching it, but we know it's not real. So like, but they, I don't know how it works. So it, is it real? <laughs> like there's a part of your, there's a part of your brain that's like, that's not real, but I don't know how it works. So magic? And, and it's just like magic. Like we're, we know card tricks. We're like that magician. No, <laughs> that's magic's not real. And then they do something that makes you doubt it a little bit in your head. And that's enough of a reason to do puppetry because it is that they're doing so much, even if they're nuanced and like the flick of the wrist on the puppet hand is picking like all of these little things you don't know how they're doing it unless you're below the screen or in the business. There's so much stuff that you take for granted because it looks like, oh, the puppet's just like pouring milk and then he's putting the milk away in the fridge and he's grabbing his bowl and his spoon and he's going to sit on the couch. That's easy for a human to do. But there's part of us that sees the puppet do that and we're not thinking necessarily about how he's grabbing the spoon, how he's pouring the milk. We know it's not real. We know this is a puppet, but there's something happening right now that I can't explain. And because I can't explain it, there will be that portion of my brain that has a little bit of doubt and like 
wants to believe in it, like wants to play. There's a spot you cannot convince not to play. I think you bring up a great thing because this is also into awesome voice acting with animation, but part of it is the creation of the the puppet, whatever, you're making a giant T-Rex or an alien Venus flytrap but wants to eat humans. The, what's great about the, the last piece of the puzzle is that whoever voices, whoever gives that character, because I think that that's going to be that extra zhuzh. I mean, you know, Frank Oz and, and all these, you know, great um, voice actors who did these, you know, characters. It's like you, they bring that person to life. It's just that, that extra realm more so than a CGI character or an animated 2D animation. And that's what makes like Little Shop of Horror is like seeing the movie or seeing these, it just makes it so much even better. Cause it's like you hear this character, like, Oh my gosh, this, I believe it. Like I said, this is, this is a real character that I want to go live in this world. And then we keep wanting to come back and rewatch them and, and want to see that. And it, yeah, it's huge. I think that's just that extra ingredient. An extra oomph. A little zhuzh. There's something about for me, and even I look at CGI that's like really well done nowadays, like like Thanos and the Avengers, like the way they did Josh Bowen into that character. Totally. It looks totally. very realistic, but there's still always this, it's something about the the edges and the way the light catches everything of, of a tangible puppet or you know actor that even with the best cj in the world can't fully be repeated and so i think for me i'm i always am like it looks like 99 percent there but there's that one percent that i do miss of it may look kind of like a mess in the corner but i'd rather take the mess in the corner than Sometimes the most polished, if it's going to be like, it's almost there, but it's not, you know, I don't know. Oftentimes it's not even a mess. Like, like ET, like you mentioned, like ET is ET. It will always be ET. And it, it is like a beautiful character today. And even if you, do, even if you do see the puppeteers, like you mentioned Warhorse, I have seen grown men that, you know, don't go to theater or you know, don't don't have that like I'm gonna play. Go to Warhorse and just not stop talking about the puppet and how like they it there's this whimsy that you get where it bridges the gap between like a, a being a child and being an adult, where somebody says, Hey, look, you're gonna watch this story. Right now, you don't necessarily have to be this adult that you've been like conditioned to be, like where there are rules of what like an adult can and cannot enjoy. And seeing a show with a puppet in it and just being willing to like play in that world and be like, okay, this is a this is the character. Like I'm gonna watch this story. Instead of being like, there's a puppet in this, I there is a puppeteer, I can't stop seeing the puppeteer, like I don't get it. They love it. They invest in it. The biggest example, the thing about Alf. I mean, how popular that was. <laughs> There's a lot of Alf in this show. I got in my show. Yeah. Oh, awesome. <laughs> but, but you're right. You know, keep talking about Alf, please. I could talk. Yeah. I mean, like it was, it was, it was one of those things that I watched, uh, ended up watching later in life. Cause this is like, again, yeah, myself. No. Yeah, me too. Befo me too. Just before my time, slightly before, but it was something about like going back and watching that. And I was thinking like how, successful that was where this was not supposed to be a kid show and this is you know the main character is a puppet so i think you know that was kind of kind of funny to see like the that evolution and how um i think we you know talk about i mean that's such a steeple of 80s 
um, you know, comedy and and like the sitcom golden age. Yeah, yeah, the golden. I think kind of the last kind of golden age of like the '80s kind of sitcom. Because as we're blending into, you know, the early '90s, you know, the format towards the 2000s has really changed. But I think that's the biggest thing is like with with movie uh, shows, you know, it was still kind of like okay, puppetry. This is more for, um, you know, kids and whatnot. But that was really you know great. But going back to puppetry and more of an adult format they actually which i really kind of liked and i wish they would have kept going with it you know muppets with the resurgence of the movies then they had the muppets was kind of i believe it was on fox and they had it was in like kind of an office style where it was kind of like the behind the scenes and they're being interviewed i was like that muppets was prime for that because it was kids loved it but it was very adult commentary and i think that's why you know, you have Muppets and you have Sesame Street, but Muppets, the longevity of Muppets and Sesame Street is interesting for different reasons. Obviously, where Muppets was more for the comedic effect, whereas Sesame Street is teaching more lessons and a little bit more of, of the educational format. But um, I love the, I, I watched a few of it. It was just kind of funny having Muppets more of like an office style comedy, which I think it was just like, oh, this is this is a recipe for uh, comedy gold. They're, they're doing uh, an electric mayhem show about the band so it's like and that whole band that's on there i think it's gonna i i i I know i really know nothing about it i assume it's like a spinal tap kind of like which oh my god that's that's i would watch it if that's that's a great concept a spinal tap combined with that i'm fair i'm i'm dr teeth and the electric mayhem show yeah i'm i'm there i mean with 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 you know the advantage of them having disney plus is that they really could put out all kinds of shows and not everything has to be necessarily hundred percent kid friendly. Um, I mean, I have to bring it up because it is one of my favorite movies in, in terms of talking about puppets for how over the top and ridiculous it is. But, you know, you kind of bring it up like puppetry that's been used more for like adult entertainment or like not really safe for kids um, for being a movie that is all about marionettes and is just over the top and ridiculous. <laughs> Uh, Team America World Police is like if you watch the movie you're like okay this is the South Park guys it is you know very raunchy there's a lot of language there's a lot of just ridiculous things and we have puppet sex we have all this crazy stuff but like you still have to kind of look at the film and go like it is a well done marionette film like they it wasn't like they were like we're gonna half ass the puppetry side of it they still were like we still want to do the movie with solid marionette action but it's like you don't see that nowadays. There's no one, no one's making marionette movies. So the fact that they were like, we want to make this story told with marionettes, which I think any other company, it would have been just a maybe like an animated film. But the fact that they did that is it's it's bonkers to me, but it's still so funny. Like trick marionettes and marionettes that like I don't know how they're doing this and filming like a wide shot. And like they must, they're up on a bridge or something up there. And uh, it's like another thing puppets can do. They can talk about like the taboo. You can talk taboo things through puppets because it's puppets. And because it's a puppet, everyone's like, oh, right. And so you can do stuff like Team America. Even puppets that are used for horror, like Chucky for a long time was, you know, and still has been used as a puppet. Gremlins, of course, has some great uh, horror to it. That actually, this still cracks me up. When we did sing it in the rain, it's this really old theater in New Hampshire that is definitely haunted. And 
the thing is the the director there always likes to have the cast you like a, a, a little bonding night before tech and we get to vote on a, a horror movie and we had four movies to choose from three of which were actually very very scary and we ended up watching gremlins which became the running joke of the whole show is this we're talking oh, about gremlins all the time right Man, we just oh, talked about God, gremlins blast from the past yeah, blast from the past it was gremlins 24 7 well i remember being like because there were so many people that hadn't seen it i remember being yeah i'm gonna change their life but some of the things with like they don't get it they don't get it they've it's too late for them they have lost they've lost the part of their brain for that movie that wants to play the, the guy who actually made those movies has claimed that Grogu is like a ripoff of Gizmo. And I'm like, okay, obviously it's a similar, but I'm like, whatever. But like going from Gizmo to the gremlins themselves, there's a lot of scary. And then it goes a little more bonkers in the second gremlins. But like that, I mean, obviously a huge icon of horror uh, jigsaw on that little bike. I mean, even thinking of, even thinking about, obviously it was more from the books, but then they started um, then they actually reached a lot of these movies and the live action TV show. And of course, uh, kind of horror is, you know, this kind of the slapstick dummy slappy, uh, the dummy, uh, from goosebumps where that's even like, you think about all these other ones, like Annabelle and Brahms, the boy, it's like, okay, then we take it to the extreme where it's like, uh, some of these, you know, puppets, a little frightening. It's like, uh, get that out of my house. <laughs> Going back to like twi- twilight zone, talking about the OG scary puppet, they use puppets in that all the time and and talk about slappy like one of the famous episodes is that dummy episode where they have a ventriloquist who's who's like lost it and and dealing with this like haunted dummy it's great puppets are awesome (laughs) they are awesome i just love i love how they can definitely they can go in so many different genres uh and it's it's yeah they are awesome you know what let's take a quick break and when we come back I want to get to Brendan on his puppeteering experience and his show reading buddies. Stay tuned. Mm. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Mm. Mm. What are you doing? What? Are you eating during this podcast? Yes. Yeah, so is there a problem with that? So good God, man, your munching is distracting. Hey, I can't help it. It's this new seasoning I got. It's so delicious. Seasoning, you say? Yeah, from the Steel City Salt Company. Did you make that up? No way. It's the store to go for all your seasoned, salted, and spice needs. Since 2011, it's been bringing a new era of exciting flavor to the city of Pittsburgh and the surrounding regions. From their popular flavors like garlic herb, dill pickle sea salt, and black and gold. Sounds great, but I don't live in Pittsburgh. That's not a problem. They actually ship nation and worldwide. Wow, that's awesome. So go to their website at steelcitysalt.com and order now. Free shipping on orders $39 or more. And let's spice up your life. And we're back. That was an excellent break. We really needed that. Um, so obviously we could, we could, like I said, we could probably go on and on and on about puppetry in entertainment because it's so exciting and there's so much to talk about but i did want to get more into you know you kind of brought up that you didn't really think of puppetry as some kind of thing you could do for work or a living or at least maybe part of your living what was the gig or what was the job that kind of got you like oh i can actually do this 
And then eventually how that led to the current show you've been working on, Reading Buddies. I want to hear all about that. It's like a chain of events, right? I went to AMDA and really no puppetry experience. Um, I played with toys a lot as a kid. Like I would make up my own stories with like various different, I didn't, I was not a kid who could play with a toy set. Like, oh, this is my Jurassic Park Jeep and this is my dinosaur. And this is the guy that goes with the Jurassic Park Jeep. No, like Han Solo was driving the Jeep. There were Legos in the back with like rifles and they were shooting <laughs> like uh, the Emperor Emperor Palpatine who's like on the back of a T-Rex. Like that's what you do. And you I act out that all movie. the scenes. I know. <laughs> and I acted out all the scenes. I would always build Lego spaceships and crash them. And then like, oh, one of them is a saboteur. Like <laughs> you you act out that stuff with yeah. these toys and like we all do it like kids talk to their toys all the time they move them they have them pick things up like that's all puppetry is and it's it's the commitment to that like that kids have when they're young flash forward to amda where somebody was doing grow for me and i was like you can't do that without a puppet and like keep in mind never not a puppeteer, not obsessed with puppets, but I was like, I'm going to help you, man, because we were like friends. And I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to make a puppet. I made this puppet out of styrofoam and, and, you know, stuff from a craft store and it looked okay. And I was like in a box, cardboard box and puppeteering it for his number. And uh, the teacher, Philip George, I think was the teacher there. And he was like, so impressed by it. And I remember being like, it was just styrofoam and stuff. And he was like, no, this is like great. Like I, this is like, I'm sure nobody from Amda's like does that a lot. Like when they come in and I was like seven, like who builds, you know? Um, so that was like one thing that always stuck with me. It was a small thing, but I was like, wow, somebody like thought that, that some adult, more importantly, some adult, cause it, you know, I was 17. Some adult thinks that that is cool. And whatever. Then I'm at AMDA, I'm, I'm like 19. I think I did a year and a half. I'm 19 in the city. I grew up on Long Island, but I moved to Florida for like those formative years of like high school and stuff. And so I, I, I'm an actor, I'm young. I'm, I don't know my type necessarily in the professional world. I know my type in high school. I'm the character guy in high school, great. Um, but when you're... a tiny little 19 year old, you're not going to be like Lumiere at Goodspeed. You know, it's like, it's not, it, I mean, it, maybe it will, I don't know, but it didn't for me. And so uh, I was just auditioning for every single thing I could. Um, and one of those things was Thomas the Tank Engine live on stage. Uh, and it was an arena spectacular. And we played these giant arenas and, uh, you, I drove, I was cast as, it was kind of vicious, the audition. We were doing the dance combo and they had three of us and like the director was just like, impress me pretty much. Like go and like do anything you can, do anything you can to pull the focus. And I was like, wow. I, it was like RuPaul's Drag Race, lip syncing for your <laughs> life. I like, they were doing something. I'd move in front of them. I like planted on center. It was like, it was ridiculous. So I get this gig, fight tooth and nail for it. It's this 14 foot animatronic kind of puppet. Um, it's almost like a go-kart that you stand in and you drive and the go-kart has, it's like extends another, you know, 10 feet. And uh, you pop out the window as his driver, you talk to him and 
inside he has a whole panel of like moving his eyebrows, his eyes, you could do the little circle thing with his eyes. There was a lever that you could move up and down to be his mouth. And I had such fun in that damn thing. And it had a little smoke button he could press and smoke would come oh, out the wow. funnel. And you drive him around stage. And like, <laughs> he has choreo, like you could kill somebody. No, not really. But like, maybe. Um, yeah. So because there's no like, track, you're just free driving. He's going around, around yeah, on the floor. And, yeah. And there are like two other trains out there and people like running around. And these kids that go to these shows are like, like we were the Beatles, like they would, we had people stationed on the stage because kids would run up. Like, like the last thing they're going to do is they're going to run. They don't care any consequences. They're running up this. We had like a signal for if a kid got up on stage that everyone could see. And, you know, the people would have to grab them before they come up on stage. But I was having a blast. It was my own little world on stage. Sometimes I'd even go like under the window so I can just like be in my little hole and I'll keep Thomas's eyes moving and his eyebrows like, oh yeah. Like I got so good with that damn thing that I could turn his eyes to the side and move his eyebrows, shut off the system because I knew it would freeze that way, pop out, like lean against him, talk, do my little shtick, go back in, move the lever with like my foot while I'm popping. You know, it's like you get good. It becomes like a toy and any puppet becomes like that. You play with a puppet often enough and you just figure out every possible nuanced thing you could act with. Um, so then that happened. Then John Tartaglia's Imagine Ocean. That was the thing that did me in. Um, because again, I was young, I'm auditioning for everything and you needed puppetry experience to uh, audition for this particular show. It was a black light touring puppet show. It was at New World Stages. This was the first like uh, tour. And I, that's when it hit. It, it, it only hits you like necessity is it's like a eureka moment. I'm like, I need a job. They need puppeteers. Wait a minute. What I did was puppetry. Give me the job, you know? And so that got me in and that got me thinking, wait a minute, puppetry's a thing. It was something special that got me into this audition to be seen. That means that it's a thing. Like, it's not just some, like if they're looking for people with that experience, then it's not something that they expect you to just grab and go that without any experience, you know? Some theaters might do that, but question the puppetry, <laughs> probably. <Yeah. laughs> what are you working with there? But for the audition, they just had puppets laying there. You had to lip sync to a song. I did it. And in a way, it was, I, I just picked up one of their puppets the first time <laughs> and, and I'm, I'm doing my shtick with it. It was a live hand puppet. So my, my hand was one of the hands and the other hand was the head. Um, you know, like Cookie Monster. And I loved it because for the first time in an audition, they weren't looking at me. They were looking at my performance. <laughs> you know what I mean? I didn't feel like they were looking at me. I was as committed as I would be because I am from the acting world and that's, that's how we do, right? It's like you commit, you put your whole self in there. And, but, but there wasn't the pressure. And in Blacklight Puppetry, the, it was like fish, right? It's an imagined ocean. And John Tartaglia was like the original Princeton in Avenue Q. He was the youngest person, I think, to work on Sesame Street. 
I don't, I don't know if he, I don't think he holds that record anymore. He did Johnny and the Sprites. He was in Shrek, the musical Pinocchio, uh, original cast. Um, and now he, he directs the, uh, the new Fraggle Rock. Um, and so he had like a life in puppetry. So it was just like lucked out that he cast me too, that, that helped snowball the puppetry stuff. Um, the Blacklight puppetry, all black stage, right? With like a ground rail that's like colored with blacklight reactive paint. The audience, everything's out except for the black lights above. So you can only see the stuff we want you to see. Um, you only see the neon fish we're puppeteering, but we are head to toe covered in black. You could be in the front row and not see us. So I could, there were times, cause uh, the first time I was a character but I was learning puppetry there. I was learning from other really good people that were on the show that have been in the puppetry world that taught me how to build. A guy, David Corris, taught me how to build my first puppet. He would build, because they're all symmetrical, right? So he'd build a half, show me how to do it. I'd build the other half and we'd combine. And he, he held my hand through all of that, through the whole tour. And in the end, I knew how to build a puppet. And my friend Ben DeRoche helped me then too and then he hooked me up with like an internship at a place to build puppets, the Puppet Kitchen in New York City. And that was an internship that like blew my mind. I was like, I'm learning so much about how to build these things and how to like customize them and what I like and what I don't like about this puppet or this puppet. And just those techniques. I, once you get a couple of you could get one in this day and age in musical theater, especially in theater. If you get one puppetry credit on your resume, you could decide to do that forever. And people will see that and they will love it. Um, and so the benefit of being a black light puppet show is that in the second year when I was uh, the swing, cause I wanted to do the like the lead puppets, the lip sync puppets. There was puppets that I did didn't really, one was like a trigger puppet with a lip sync but I didn't really get to do like lip synky stuff with my hand. Uh, and so the second year I was the swing, but because it's a blacklight show, I just stood center stage and watched these people. It'd be like, can you imagine? You're like the swing in Hamilton. You're just sitting on stage in the chair, like watching <laughs> enjoying the, the show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You follow, like I would follow people. I would do the show behind, not behind them, but they wouldn't even know. You know what I mean? It was like, I was like, I'm going to be out there. I'm going to be way upstage. Don't mind me. I'm just going to be out there. So yes, yeah, so that is where I really got my, like a huge amount of base puppetry knowledge and experience. And then I worked with marionettes in Central Park at the Swedish cottage at Bruce over there. It's like, it's like a cottage in Central Park. It used to be a schoolhouse. Now it's been a puppet theater since the seventies, $10 tickets, cheapest ticket you can find in New York. If you have kids, go to it. It's right across from the Delacorte Theater, the Shakespeare in the park. So you get a handful of puppet stuff on your resume and then you just, what happened to me is I just kept getting cast in puppet stuff. Gets me up to when I met Andrea, my wife. Um, Andrea Dotto, we call her Dot. So I, I have like a million nicknames for her, I'll call her Dot because that's who she plays in the show. Um, met her doing a production of Godspell at the same theater that we did Singing in the Rain in. She was in Singing in the Rain as Kathy. Um, it's where we got our hashtag, Cosmo loves Kathy. 
turned into Cosmo weds Kathy when we got married. Anyway, um, I'm sure at the time she was like, oh my God, this guy does puppetry. That's fine. He he's <laughs> acts too. He's funny. Great. He's He's got a good pratfall. We love it. And uh, then her and I started to do these um, through a friend of mine, Stacy. I'm just giving shout outs. Stacy Weingarten, who comes into play later because she directs the second season of Reading Buddies. We started to do this, uh, this like outreach with Ronald McDonald's house uh, called Musical Magic, where we would go to different hospitals and do like a good old, they give us a band, they give us money to hire a band and we'd have a piano player, bass player and stuff. Um, it's where we like got a lot of our friends that end up working on the show, like our musical director and, and you know, he, we Dot knew him from Broadway and then he came and did that with us and it was fun. So that's where Dusty and Dot were honed because I made Dusty out of scraps, scraps that I found at the, in Atlanta, the Center for Puppetry Arts, another really cool place. If you are into puppets and you are in Atlanta, you cannot leave without seeing the Center for Puppetry Arts. They have like everything, every puppet from your childhood is there and they put on great shows too. So I had this, I had this beautiful fur. I was just casting Annie. Uh, it was going to be like a nine month tour. And I was like, oh, you know, maybe I'll make a puppet and do like a little web series, which never happened. And so I made this puppet dog um, out of scraps and called him Dusty because he's like the third understudy for Sandy. For like Sandy. He's, yeah. he's not Sandy. He's Dusty because he's like grungier and like, uh, yeah. you know, he's, he's, he's <laughs> like the third cupboard there he's, <laughs> and he's not prepared to go on. Flash forward to the uh, pandemic where uh, Dot and I were doing a show. Uh, we were supposed to get married that summer. Um, our show opened at Westchester Broadway uh, and then closed literally the next day. And so we, luckily my wife's um, family is up in Syracuse. So we took everything we have, we went to Syracuse and we lived in a basement for what ended up being like almost two years almost, which is kind of nuts. Uh, we got married because we pushed it like three times. And then we were like, you know what? We lost our job, our industry, our life and our apartment because of this freaking pandemic. And other people lost, uh, I'm sure a lot more obviously, but we are not gonna lose, we're not gonna let it dictate our story and our wedding. So uh, come hell or high water, we, you know, we just did it during 2020. Um, Dot, when we, got there through a theater that she's worked at, they wanted bedtime stories for kids. And so uh, we had Dusty. He was one of the ones I brought back because I was teaching a course like online and we did bedtime stories. We did read alouds. So that's how Dusty and Dot came to be. And Dusty and Dot is their own thing. We have an Instagram, we have our own thing. We do our own thing. Then Dot being the entrepreneur, genius leader, she's the, she's the president, I'm the vice president of the company, like she, I'd follow her anywhere, right? Um, she gets in there, she contacts newspapers, magazines, local, 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 local girl, local Broadway star comes back during the pandemic, gets married to her husband and they create a kid. Like she went in and it is because of her on so at different points, like Andrea Dotto, 
just work with her and the thing will get done and <laughs> be perfect. Uh, so she got us in all these magazines, like us on a little phone, like she did. And through those magazines, this group of teachers, the Reading League, um, found us. And they wanted us to teach a show. They hired us to make them a show with their curriculum. Long story short, we keep the rights to Dusty and Dot, and they pretty much lease them to host this show that we created. Um, and we use their curriculum, which is uh, like, it's not so much phonics, it's more like phonemic awareness. It's a lot to do with sounds. Like this, this today's sound of the day, ah. And we're gonna explore that sound for like 75% of the show. Then we're gonna tell you, this is the symbol that makes the sound we've been talking about. As opposed to letter A, 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 like, you know. Um, so they hired us on, on like, you know, a dime to do this show. We thought it's gonna be filmed on an iPhone. Great, two iPhones, awesome. It ended up being filmed at like the local PBS wanted to get in. Uh, our friend is a set designer up there. He built us a set for a nickel, which is like what gives us the most production value. And we filmed over at WCNY at this PBS. And just me, my wife, my sister playing the characters. I built this robot called Alphabot. Um, we use her a lot to teach in the show. And three camera guys, one guy behind the board, and we did it. And Andrea edited all 20 half-hour episodes. She had never done that before, never edited. And that was season one. Season one, let's say, these are, these are probably made up numbers. Let's say season one had a budget of 100,000 all in. That's rental, cameras, building the set, hire, you know, everything, creating the, everything. Um, the second season, once we, we got a second and third season, pretty much, and we, we signed up for that. We were like, they wanted two and three, and we were like, great, <laughs> stability, that's amazing. Um, it's like faux stability, what happens after season three? Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and so that got, uh, it got us kind of a life. And then season two, with, uh, which if the first one was 100,000, season two would have been 500,000. Oh, wow. I'd say maybe about whatever it is, it was about like five times more and all through grants that the Reading League uh, wrote. They're really good at that. And uh, so we had people from Syracuse, philanthropists pour money in. And it's cool because Syracuse is, is like, they're getting cool. They're filming a lot of stuff there. They have different theaters, the non-union tours of like Tootsie and Cats all rehearsed there. Um, before they went up or whatever. Uh, so it's becoming kind of like, uh, it, it's becoming really cool. And so after season one, we signed for two and three, and that's now what our life is. Dot is the head honcho and puts together everything. And we hired uh, an assistant editor this year, co-editor really. And we were able to hire, you know, because last year we had like a month to do it all. They were like, write us 20 half hour episodes in a month and a half and it was like so we hired writers last year because I was like if I'm doing this they need I need people to do you know so we we're starting to hire like our friends like we're able to hire our friends and I love being on this side I love creating it's it's really something to be able to step back and see what you created the hard thing is finding the value in yourself afterwards for me because as actors we're so used to and I put my heart out and I did the show 
and I gave it my all. And I'm proud of myself, but what do you think in the audience? <laughs> you know, we're so used to getting that gratification of like clap, 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 dot, clap. We loved it. It made a difference somehow. But here we are, we're making this 20 half hour episodes and we have no idea. We don't know the reaction. So it has to be something that you can look at and say, I am proud of that. It's right here, case in point with this podcast. We don't really know. It's uh, probably my, our cousin who's listening to every episode uh, <laughs> on multiple devices. Yeah, yeah, we don't, We like I said. There you go. Yeah, so you have to just, you have to put in the work and just, this is my baby. Well, that's the same, like just being parents almost, you know, it's, uh, you create this item and hopefully that you put everything out to it. Something's going to happen. You've done your best. And this, this second season. Um, so before it was just like one little room and like a desk and a lot of the action, all the action took place there this year. We, the season that just dropped, it's on YouTube. If you look up uh, the reading leagues, reading buddies, or you could probably just look up like reading buddies TV show and you'll find it on YouTube. Please subscribe. Um, because we're getting better at things each year as we're able to, and as like um, people invest and, and things like that. And, and just from what we learn. But you know, one thing that's always is hard is, is marketing and stuff like that. So as many subscribers and followers and likes that helps us kind of hopefully have a life you know, down the line as we move forward. Um, so it is something that we're very proud of and we were nominated for uh, an Emmy for season one, uh, New York State Emmy, which is, is exciting. And be, because it's like, if the goal is to go to Syracuse and like give them fair Mr. Rogers, that they can be like, this is a Syracuse show. And like that PBS after working on season two and seeing the edited product, I've never seen these guys so happy. So at this point I've known them for two years. They were like school kids when they first saw it, we had, we had a meeting and they were like laughing. I was like, who are these people? But like, that's, that's the, oh my God, wait, we did something. And we have, uh, so this year it's, uh, we have an exterior house part with like turf and we have six kids on the show. Um, different, uh, you know, it, everybody, every. We have six kids on the show now and everyone is represented within the community, um, everybody, which is so beautiful. Like one kid, uh, Grayson, when, when he got cast in here his first day, he's on set, his eyes you know, lit up. First of all, this is the kind of kid who said to Andrea and I, because we hadn't stopped to think you know, we're, it's just all like, we got to, we're sinking, we got to keep going. We got to keep making this show happen. This kid stops and he says to Andrea and I, he says, wait, did you guys make all this? Did you create all this? And Dot and I look at each other and it's like coming up for air for a second. And there was this moment of like a, yeah, yeah, we did. And Grayson was like, put his hands together. And he says, I have praise for you. <laughs> And he just like, this kid is beautiful. And he said, I am so happy to be on this show. And I know that a little black boy is gonna see me on this show and they're gonna think that they can be here or that his character is like obsessed with space. He wants to go to space camp. Um, 
that they can see me and they might want to do what Reggie does even, or they might go to the moon. And this is like this kid's words. It was just, it was like what we had hoped. It's what we hoped for, right? It's like, it's what you want. It's, it's that's what representation is so important. Um, but to hear this kid say it, you're like, oh, wait, wait, wait. Maybe humans do have a shot at the future, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like if this is the kid, you know? Um, one, one more thing about the show is it's just because we were talking about all this, this nostalgic, when did puppets, what, what did they make a difference in your life? All of that is represented in the show. Uh, the premise is the alphabeteers who are a group of like kind of scouts uh, that meet after school at Dot's house for some like tutoring uh, and like extracurricular kind of uh, education. So it's like they get to focus on their science stuff while they're doing reading stuff. Um, and they all collect badges. By the end of the episode, they get the badge that is the sound of the day or, you know, et cetera, like the, the silent E badge. They get the A vow badge and stuff like that. Uh, but it references all of the kids shows throughout the decades. We have like the mouse, uh, Mouseketeers with, with the Alphabeteers kind of thing. They all wear the hats with the Alphabet, but then you have Sherry Lewis and Lamb Chop in the relationship with Dusty and Dot. You have Star Wars in this transforming robot, like this transforming droid who is their best friend, but she doesn't speak. She speaks through a kazoo. The puppeteer is down there, my sister, and she's, you know, so you know what she's saying, but she, it's R2-D2. It's like the stuff that we, it's every droid in Star Wars except C-3PO. And uh, there's Barney in there with like the kids. And then there's, I'm trying to think if we're missing anything. Uh, and then like Sesame Street, you know, with, with the puppets and, and, and like the puppets educational aspect. And it's explicitly educational. Um, so like there are games, all the games are, educational games that have to do with the curriculum, but they're also very fun and hilarious. Uh, it, so it also calls back to like shows like Bill Nye the Science Guy or um, Magic School Bus, how those, you're sitting in class and you're like, I know this is educational. I know it because you're teaching me about like, you know, salmon swimming upstream and like, eggs and you know fertilizing eggs like you're teaching me this really weird sciencey stuff but I'm here for it I'm here like let them let them shrink down and fall into uh, like a salmon egg there literally is an episode where the kids in a salmon salmon egg and a fish like fertilizes them you know what I mean <laughs> you're like that is what I grew up on and that's why I know salmon swim upstream to you know hatch their eggs like to, to spawn so i really look back at it and i see my whole childhood everything we just talked about reflected in a single show that is teaching something that's just very important like 40 percent of the kids in this country aren't at the reading level they're supposed to be at 40 40 percent and after covid that number has probably slid dramatically. So you have all of this nostalgic stuff that people my age who now have kids or, or a little bit older that, that have kids that watch these shows. So it's for the kids and it's also 
for the parents to be able to sit and watch it with their kids because it's funny and because they see all these references. But now the parents are learning the curriculum too. And so when that kid comes home with that curriculum, which is explicitly taught on the show, we don't disguise it. Like we use the same kind of structures that they do in the classroom. So that dad, you know, when kid comes home, the parents can see the worksheet and be like, it's just like when they repair the robot on reading buddies, you know, it's, it is that brand of educational TV. And uh, I hope everybody subscribes to it and checks it out. At least it's very good. And I do love that. It is like, again, that thing where if you were to go back to like six-year-old Brendan and be like, you know, 30 years from now, you're going to make a show that's going to be educational and all stuff. And it's going to be all the influence you've seen over the years. Six-year-old would be like, what? Like I, you're from the future. What, you know, <laughs> who, who but like are you? <laughs> that, that idea of like why I think uh, a medium like puppetry needs to stay alive is that you, you never know how entertainment um, can influence someone, whether then in the moment or way down the line. So it is kind of nice to think that something as bad as the pandemic happened, but because of the, you know, a, B to C to X, Y, Z led you to now make this show and how now you're influencing a whole new era of children using all these things that you loved as a kid with puppetry, but also just, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, had all this been these constant CGI Netflix shows that come out or these Disney plus shows that are just, you know, like my nephew, he's four. He watches all these shows that are like, I'm sure they're great in educational known way, but it's just a constant CGI, 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 CGI. It's, it's no, none of that tangible stuff. And so I do think it's great that you guys have created that show and hopefully, yes, hopefully it does have nice long lasting legs and it keeps going. And, and, you know, who knows, it could blow up to something even crazier. And Dot and I even say, if it's a show that 20 years, if it's a show that plays just in classrooms, when the sub is in, yeah, or when you know, you've made it, you've made it. It's a half hour to the end of the day and they need to pop that on. And like 20 years from that point, kids are talking and being like, do you remember this weird show? Or did I make this up? There was a robot and a talking dog and kids that collected badges and they went to some lady's house. It was weird. That's the show I want to be, you know, that's it. (laughs) Well, Brendan, we thank you for being on the podcast today, talking all about puppetry and your own experiences. And of course, the show you're working on now, but we can't let you leave without quickly getting into our guest questions. So these yes. are all about you. No math involved. Nope. Easy okay. peasy. Uh, quick fire here. So start off. What's your favorite movie? Off the back. Uh, uh, off. Uh, uh, I would say um, uh, Empire Strikes Back right now. Let's go with that. If nice. Solid. I would go with that. What's a favorite TV series of yours? Everybody Loves Raymond or Seinfeld. They're kind of tied because they're both actually perfect comedic sitcoms to me we, we love both uh what's a favorite video game or video game series of yours oh easy peasy it is pokemon red version for the game boy baby game boy pocket <laughs> yes oh first one back. game boy pocket yeah yeah bring it back uh what is a favorite style of music or favorite artist of yours uh, Billy Joel, I have seen him about, I think, seven times now in concert. <laughs> seven times. What is the favorite place you've traveled to around the world? That's like one of your favorite destinations you've been to. 
There is, I was on a cruise ship. I worked Disney Cruise Line and we did a Mediterranean place, a Mediterranean, um, you know, cruises out of, out of the Met. And Villafranche, Villafranche? I'm probably butchering that, but it's like, it's, there's a train that goes to a bunch of other places. The coast is beautiful. The village is so charming. I would go back there in a heartbeat and like explore a little bit more. What is something that inspires you or has inspired you um, to get where you are today? My wife, Andrea Dotto. That is, I would not be here. Love that. Okay. Andrea, I hope you're uh, listening because that's the right answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, going, going kind of off of that, what's the best piece of advice you've received or a piece of advice you really take to heart? You know what? I, I'll do the one that came into my head, and it's actually from my father-in-law, Marty, which is another great move. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, uh, it is, you know, if, if you are stressing out about something that happened at work or, you know, it, it really it pertains to something that happens at work. Um, and it's, you know what? You are getting, you're getting worked up over this, and you have a reason to be upset, but that person is not going to lose sleep tonight. Like they left, they checked out, they don't really care. They're like the boss, right? So they're going to go home and they're going to sleep. And yeah, they make your life difficult at work, but that's work. Like when you come home, if they're not losing sleep, why should you? Why should you let them, you know, relax. And why would you work yourself up for the whole night, like puffing your chest? And, you know, so there is that element of like, leave work at work and then take your time and don't let anybody else take your time when it's your time. This is fun because I feel like we are all have a different um, definition of this word, but give us your nerd level scale or your nerd level on a scale of one to 10, one being least nerdy, 10 being ultra nerd. So I, I would say probably a seven if we're talking Star Wars stuff, maybe a nine. Um, general seven, Star Wars stuff nine. So your range up there, depending on the uh, the genre, the topic, or you know what the franchise Yeah, I, I have a Star Wars tattoo. Oh, yeah. nice. You know. And of course, today, the day we're recording, we have a new series came out, Andor, very excited to check out. Um, what is a guilty pleasure of yours? Um, lately... My guilty, oh, well, it was like, no, lately it's Shirley Temples. I'm going to be honest. I don't care who knows it. I bought this uh, on a whim. I bought this thing at Grenadine and some Sprite and some ginger ale. I'm getting creative. Like Lenny's living it, life. Cur- currently, that's the guilty pleasure that came first, first to my mind. I'm craving those cherries right now. And our last question for you, uh, Chris and I, we love doing impressions on this podcast and in life. Uh, and with your background, would love to hear what is, give us your best impression. What's the okay. impression you can do? Oof, that's like a good, you know what? It's, this is going to be a weird one. So in uh, Aristocats, the hit Disney movie Aristocats, um, there is a hound dog. There are two hound dogs. There's one that's the leader and there's one that's not the leader. And the one that's the leader is, I'm the leader. I'll say when to go. All right, let's go. You know, and that is my favorite. This is my favorite voice to do. I love singing the in that Same voice. guy that did uh, the sheriff in Robin yeah. Hood. Yeah. And, uh, correct, yeah. correct. Did a lot of I'm movies sure, for Disney. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. he's... he's that was one. actually very good. That was really that, good. I, love, I love it was a setup and then knocked yeah. it out of the park. And I was like... <laughs> well, I had to... 
<laughs> it's the one I think it's the one I the one I got. I'm working on a bobcat because like oh, yeah. who can yeah. do him, you know. Bobcat's tough. Well, okay. So you definitely let us know about YouTube for uh reading buddies, but if people want to follow you on social media yourself, uh where should they follow you? Oh my goodness. I don't even post on it. I'm I'm my like my level of technology is still at the Pokemon Red version Game Boy Pocket. Um, so I am uh, Brandon Malafranti. I think at the greatest Brandini is my Instagram handle. But if you want to support like Dusty and Dot personally, follow the Reading Buddies and then follow uh, Dusty and Dot on Instagram uh, because we could use those too. <laughs> yes. Please do, friends. Please do. Well, once again, Brendan, thank you for being on the podcast today, talking all about puppetry and your history and reading buddies. It was such a pleasure. Again, we could go on and on because there's so much to talk about. But um, thank you for being on the podcast today. And for those listening, please, please reach out to us. We want to know how you felt about this episode. Reach out and go follow Reading Buddies. And um, ta-ta for now, friends. Thanks for listening to The Potential Podcast. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Potential Podcast or on Twitter at The Potential Pod. Or you can email us. Send us your positive feedback and thoughts, suggestions, and more through our email, thepotentialpodcast at yahoo.com. I'm your host, Chris Dewar. And I'm your host, Taylor Sokol. Stay tuned for more episodes on pop culture, entertainment, and nerdum. And remember, know, know your, your potential. potential.